are so thankful for our Kid Zone workers who are volunteering this morning and providing uh, that way for our kids to learn. So very thankful for them. Hey, thanks, guys. I've been meaning to say this for the last couple of weeks and have continue, continuously forgotten, but the other group of people, I mean, there's lots of people I could say I'm thankful for, but the group that I've been meaning to mention is I'm so thankful for our chair teams, setting up chairs. So, it's 7 p.m. on Saturday night, and you look at your wife and kids, and you're like, so what do you want to do? And they all unanimously are like, you know what we want to do? We want to go in and set up chairs. And I'm just so thankful that you guys love the Lord and love us enough to come in and set up the chairs. So thank you for that. You know who you are. I know who you are. We're just very thankful, very thankful for you doing that. If you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to open them with me, we're in Titus. And what we just sang is that we would walk by faith. And this is really about living a consistent life that our walk or our obedience would come out of our faith. And so we've talked about the importance of having our, our faith lead into our behavior, or what we believe lead into what we do. So our faith comes out in our conduct. So you guys are all familiar with all the stories about Christians who say one thing and then do something quite contrary to what they're saying. You haven't just seen that, you've experienced it up close and personal as people say one thing and then do something else. And what we're talking about, and the book of Titus is about, lining up your faith with your work. Lining it up. So we're going to talk about that again today, one last time as we close out and leave the book of Titus. So if you're there with me, I'm going to read to you just for a second, and then we'll read through the whole thing. But um, I want to read to you from verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. You'll see that? Okay, so two words you're going to see today. You'll see faith, and then you'll see work. This is good works. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Okay, so how does, here's my question, how does the gospel encourage us to help cases of urgent need? And we we just saw that, how you guys met cases of urgent need in eastern Kentucky. You guys thought about how God had been graceful to you, how God had been kind to you, how God had been generous to you, and then you were kind to you and generous and thoughtful for the people in eastern Kentucky. Well done. Good job putting your faith into practice. Now, so if there's urgent needs down in eastern Kentucky, and we try to meet those, we could ask, what are some urgent needs here in Allegan? And how does the gospel meet those urgent needs? We could... You know, it'd be interesting to sit and talk about what urgent needs there are. And, but I thought I should kind of come prepared. So I came prepared to talk about two. And maybe afterward we can talk about more. 
But the first one I'd like to talk to you is from an article um, I read in the Gospel Coalition, and then they did a podcast about this, in the recorded podcast. But I, I just want to just, let me just give this much to you about sadness, persistent sadness. And tell me if you think this is an urgent need. So in 2009, about a quarter of American high school students said they had persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. Now that's bad, but it gets much worse. By last year, it was up to 44% the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. It gets worse. For girls, that rate rose to 57%. That means if there's a teenage girl in your life that you know and love, chances are good, better than average, that they are persistently sad. More often than not, Six out of ten, they are persistently sad. That means that almost six out of ten girls feel persistently sad or hopeless. During the pandemic, more than one out of four girls seriously contemplated suicide. That sounds like an urgent need to me. Six out of ten feel persistently sad and during the pandemic, one in four seriously contemplated suicide. You know, you think of if there's 20 teenage girls in our youth group, how many of them, how many of them are contemplating suicide? Might be above average, might be below average, but that's, a, that's an urgent need. The article's author pointed out the most obvious culprit. If you stood a teen in 2009 next to a teen from 2022, what would be the most noticeable difference between them? 2009, not that long ago, not that long ago, some of you are wearing clothes that you bought before 2009. <laughs> I have quite a few, half my wardrobe at least. Like, that's not that long ago. If you stood a teen from 2009 next to a teen from 2022, what would be the most notable difference between them? One of them would be on her phone, scrolling social media. Studies, studies show that teens are on social media on average five hours a day. That's an urgent need. They're not the only ones. Um, so I saw this study in um, a couple different articles, but I decided to quote to you the one from Psychology Today, not a Christian magazine at all. If you go there think, thinking you're going to find Christian things, you're not going to find it there. But I thought I'd read this about the devastating toll of men's loneliness. A Harvard study of adult development, so Harvard, 2017, followed a group of men for eight decades. Throughout the study, at different points in their lives, the men were asked, who would you call in the middle of the night if you are sick or afraid? So, if you're a man here, maybe you could pause and ask yourself, if it was the middle of the night, do I have someone I could call if I was sick or afraid? 
Those men who had someone to turn to were happier in their lives and their marriages and also physically healthier over time. Loneliness in men is correlated with cardiac, cardiovascular disease and stroke. So the men who didn't have anyone to call were more likely to be sick, more likely to have all these other problems. And then it goes on to say, loneliness in men is correlated to cardiac disease and stroke. 80% of successful suicides are men. And one of the leading contributing factors is loneliness. So loneliness is, is a contributing factor to ill health and also suicide. And you might be asking, well, how many men are lonely? Well, this says that one-third of men are regularly feel lonely. A third. So if we have urgent needs, one of the urgent needs we'll see here is that the gospel be supported. But if there are urgent needs like sadness, like teenage, specifically teenage girl sadness, or if male loneliness, is, is that an urgent need? And how does the gospel meet these needs, or does it meet these needs? That's what I'd like to talk to you about from Titus chapter 3 this morning. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand with utter blazing clarity your gospel so that we can see how it meets our deepest, greatest needs. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are, Titus chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis, or Tychus, to you, so what's going on is um, Paul is asking Titus to come join him. You'll see that in just a second. And he's going to send a replacement, so Titus, so the church there in Crete will have a lead uh, pastor. So when I send Artemis or Tychus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. So Crete there is the square. Um, the arrow is pointing towards Nicopolis there in the Mediterranean. For I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. This is important work. This is gospel work that these missionaries would be fully supported. It was a little, well, let me say it this way. They depended more on hospitality when they traveled in the ancient world than we do today. They didn't have credit cards that they could swipe. Um, the same type of ease of travel that we have today. So they depended more on hospitality. So you see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn. Okay, so that word learn, so if, if you are looking at, looking at your Bible, go ahead and point at that word learn. And let our people learn. That is the same word for discipleship in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them. So let our people learn. That's a very important word. It's a teaching word. Let our people learn. This will not come natural. It has to be learned. It's a skill that has to be required. Let our people learn to devote themselves to, and then what's that, what are those next two words? We've been 
kind of coming back to you again and again and again throughout Titus? Good works. Good works. And let our people learn because it won't come natural. This is a skill they need to acquire. This is a skill sport. It's hard. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And I have up there the different times in the book of Titus that you see good works throughout the book. It's a persistent theme throughout the book. So here are the two results of good works. So as to help the cases of urgent need, this is what we talked about, the urgent need like we saw in eastern Kentucky or the urgent needs here like sadness or like loneliness. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us. This next phrase is really important. In the faith. So these are the times that faith are mentioned in the book of Titus. Again, just like good works is a persistent theme, that's a top of the tree issue, that's a fruit issue, that's a, this is a result issue, this is a, a core issue of roots of the tree issue that grows into behavior in the faith. Here's the thing. When you see the word the there, it's talking about a set of truths. So it's not, it's not only talking about what you believe, it's talking about the core truths that you believe in the faith. You see this again in, or earlier, we saw this in chapter 1, verse 4. So my Bible like lays open to Titus. It's like it's all on one page and then the other. So if that's true for you, maybe you can just look over at chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child, in, if I could circle that word in your Bible, I would, in a common faith. Like we are in the faith together. If I could draw a picture of the faith for you, I would draw it like this. We are in the faith, and the faith is a set of truths about Christ, and a set of truths about our salvation in Christ. Now, here's what this means. This means that you, if you are a believer, you are already included. You may not feel included. You may not be acting out the fact that you're included. But you are already included because you are in the faith. And you are not in the faith by yourself. You are in the faith with other people. This is why he writes, greet those who love us in the faith. Like we are together in the faith and that's like being in Christ. And what that means is you are already in. Why don't you say, in the faith with me? I'm going to read the first part of the verse, then you read in the faith out loud, because I want to try to lodge that in your mind for later on. So, greet those who love us in the faith. Very good. Grace be with you all. Okay, so grace has been a persistent theme in the book as well, as he's talked about how salvation is by grace. And so, at the key intersections of the book, as he's talked about salvation, he's talked about how this is by grace. 
And the one that I want to talk about in particular is one we talked about last week, and that's chapter 3, verse 7. So in chapter 3, verse 7, we read, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay? So if I could draw a picture of justification for you, this is how I would draw it. Now, Maybe in the back of your mind, you're wondering, how in the world is he going to get back to teenage sadness or male loneliness? Just stick with me for a second. Okay? So, we're saved by grace. So, what it means to be justified. We are justified by grace. If I could draw a picture of, you, of this for you, this is what I would draw. This is our side of the ledger. Our side of the ledger, like we talked about last week, is all negative. So, I have sinned and sinned and sinned. I have nothing I can go to God and point to and say, see, I am righteous because of these things. The Bible says all the right things we do are like filthy rags. No one is righteous. No, not one. None of us get it all right. We have all sinned. We're all guilty all the time in and of ourselves. We all, we all do things for the wrong motives, in the wrong way. And it doesn't mean... What it means is that sin is mixed in with everything we do. And so, none of us are righteous by ourselves. But Christ was completely righteous. He did everything right. He was completely obedient. Totally obedient. He has nothing but positives on his side of the ledger. So when it says you are justified by grace, what that means is God says to you, though you are all sin and Christ is all righteousness, he says, hey, let's trade sides. I'll take your negatives, you take my positives, and I'll justify you by grace, and it will be just as though you'd never sinned. So Jesus gives us all his positives and he takes away all our sin and so we can know that we are washed clean and renewed. That's what we read last week. That, As, as we're reminded, his grace is bigger and better and stronger than all of our sin because he washes it all away. He takes all of our sin away and gives us his righteousness. So when God looks at us, God does not see the negatives. He sees Christ's positives. This is by grace. It's just God, something God does to us because he is kind and generous and he loves us. Okay, so what does this mean? This means that I'm all right because of Christ. All right meaning all all of it is right because I am righteous before God because of Christ. So how would this apply to something like something like sadness? Something like teenage sadness? How would this apply to that? How would, the, how would this gospel apply to that problem? Well, as I was interviewing... Uh, I was not interviewing. As I was listening to the interview they were doing with these different teenage girls, I mean, I'm not a teenage girl. I don't have teenage girls, but I 
I preach to people that love them, and they're here too. Like, what, like this is something we got to, this is an urgent need for us. What they're saying is, what they're doing when they, the reason they keep going back to social media again and again and again is when they post, it makes them feel better. They get likes, and the likes make them feel better. Like, maybe they're all right. Maybe they have worth. Maybe they're interesting. Maybe they're important. And so they, they post these pictures, they get likes, and they get shares, and it makes them feel better and better and better. Except when it doesn't, and they don't get quite as many, and it makes them feel worse and worse and worse and less and less satisfied. So you, you, go, to, you go to something like Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or um, what's, the, what's the short little video of people dancing? TikTok, yes. You go to these things to maybe feel better about yourself and you end up feeling worse about yourself because you see all the other people's pictures and they're all getting more likes than you and you're not getting quite as many likes as you wish you would have. See, here's the thing. Maybe that's a fine tool. Maybe it isn't. That social media, whatever kind you use, but don't go to it for justification. Don't go to it to prove you're okay. Don't go to it for your worth. Don't go to it so it will form you as a person. You, you cannot be justified by Instagram. You can't go to Snapchat to make sure you're okay, that you're all right. It's not good for that. Another reason they said they used um, social media so that they feel included. It's interesting to me that they interviewed um, some, some, some girls that their parents did not allow them to have social media, which is important to me because we don't allow our kids to have social media until they turn 16. So it's important to me like, to hear like, how are these other kids responding to not having social media. And I'm and what they, the point they made is we felt so left out not having social media. Felt so left out. All our friends are on it. All our friends know what each other's doing. We're, not, we're just left out. But here's the thing. After these girls got social media and they started scrolling, let's say it's Saturday afternoon. This was one of the examples they used. It's Saturday afternoon. They're scrolling. They're really tired that day, so they're home. They're in their bedroom. They're scrolling. And they see people that they don't really know, that they don't really like, out for brunch together. And they think, well, why don't I have any friends asking me out for brunch? Why don't I? Like, why am I so excluded? See, you, you go to these things so you feel included, but you end up feeling excluded. Persistently excluded over and over, for five hours a day, excluded, because you see what everybody else is doing, and you're constantly measuring your, your experience against what they're experiencing. Hey, how are you included? Remember I had you read it out loud? You're included because you're in the faith. If you want to use social media, use it. Maybe you can use it for the glory of God and the good of the world. But if you're going to feel included, it will just make you feel excluded. 
if you need it, I'd advise you not to use it. What about men? What about men who feel lonely? So, so the studies I've read say that men feel lonely because they don't have any friends. And you're going, well, duh, of course. When did we give up friends? Most of us gave up having friends after college when we started our careers. Then we put our careers above everything else to climb the ladder of our careers. And then we got families in there. So you have, you have career and you have family. And, and then you just say friends in the words of, words of my friend Craig. Friends are a luxury, he says. That some, this is the way other people feel. Some people feel. Friends are a luxury I can't afford. I've been there. Like, I've, I've told myself that lie. Why do we do this? Well, because we say, this is something I've, like, this is, this is me now. I'm talking from experience as well as, like, the other things out there. What we tell ourselves is, if I climb the ladder, if I do really well, if I work really well and I'm really successful, then people will respect me and then I'll be okay. Then I'll be all right. It's like works-based justification. I'll climb the ladder, I'll be successful, so people respect me, so I'll be all right then. Then I'll be justified. I'll have justified my existence in the world through success. I'm uncomfortable just talking about that. But that's, that's what I've told myself. Maybe you've told yourself that. And so we neglect our friendships. And if, and if that's what we're hoping our career will do, if we're hoping our career will justify us, it won't. It will leave us lonely. It's good news that God saves us by grace. That he looks at us and says, you're pretty messed up. But I love you. And I'll save you. I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your sin. Let's make this trade. How about you humble yourself and ask? So God saves us by grace. So what should we do? Well, number one, we should receive his grace. Receive his grace. This is the roots of the tree issue. It's where you come and say, I can't do this by myself anymore. I need his righteousness. I need him to save me from my sins. See, it's also kind of like, there's part of it is the positive side of asking for his salvation and asking for his grace. The other part of it is the negative side of refusing to drink from the wrong the wrong glass anymore. So, so think of our addiction to maybe success or our addiction to social media or our addiction to you know, whatever it is, your addiction is, whatever it is you're trying to justify yourself with, like salt water. You know, I, I read about people who have survived long periods um, adrift at sea and how, temptation, how tempting it is to drink the salt water. Because it looks like water. They know it would be wet. 
it, maybe it would feel like it satisfied their thirst for a minute, but it's straight up poison, and it's always going to leave you wanting more. That's a good way to think of, if I post this, I'll feel popular, and people will like me, and I'll justify myself. If I climb this next ladder, I'll feel good about myself, because people will respect me. It's like salt water. Reject that and drink the, the living water of Christ that says, I just love you because I decided to love you. I'm just making this trade with you because I picked you. Receive the living water of the gospel. That's something we do once. I think it's something we do again and again. I know for me, it's something I have to do again and again. I don't have to earn that. I'm in Christ. God saves by grace, so receive his grace. Number two, once we receive his grace, we get to good work. So this is truly the only time we can get to good work is when we're drinking the gospel of grace because we don't need to try to use people to make us feel better about ourselves anymore or to make us feel satisfied anymore, to make us feel better anymore. It's, it's, it's the only time we really can is when we received his grace. So I just have to think, I just have to believe that serving together, because this is something you do together, because remember you're in the faith together and so we serve together. This is why we try to have people serve in teams here as often as we can. One of the reasons is because this is the best way to act out being in the faith together. And these are why a bunch of these are plurals. Grace be with you all, all of you. Grace be with all of you as you act out your faith together. I just have to think that serving together, wherever it is that you serve, whether it's in Awana or Cubbies or on the security team or in Kid Zone or in the nursery or um, in the chair setup crew or wherever it is that you serve, serving together will be more satisfying than posting a self serving picture. In the long run, I just have to believe serving together will be more satisfying in the long run than trying to climb the ladder for self-serving reasons. This is also, I, we can do this because we believe the gospel. I also think it's the key to friendships anyway. Looking at someone and saying, you know, I'm really lonely. Would you meet my loneliness need by being my friend? I think that's a good way to stay lonely. I think people run from that. So I've had, you know, I've had, I talk about my weaknesses. I, I have a couple of friendships I've maintained since um, college and seminary. One of them is with a buddy of mine named Chad, and he and I talk every Sunday morning. You know why? Because there is an urgent, desperate need that we both have. There's a big, desperate problem. And we work on solving that big, desperate problem together every Sunday. You know what that is? you're going to show up thinking that I'm going to have a sermon ready. <laughs> and his congregation is going to show up thinking that he's going to have a sermon ready. And so every Sunday morning for the past, 
I don't know how many years, but longer than, longer than a couple of my kids have been alive. We've talked on Sunday mornings, and I pitch my sermon to him, and he pitches his sermon to me, and then we both say, you know what, you need prayer. <laughs> and so we pray together, you know. So, so can you see how that is not about, I am desperately lonely. Can I use you to meet my loneliness need? That's not that. It's, hey, let's work together on good works. Let's do something profitable and worthwhile. Let's meet this need together. Giving yourself to good works is a great way to maintain friendships. God saves by grace, so receive the grace, get to good work, and tell someone. Why don't, why don't we take seriously that people are drinking from poison wells, like thinking that the next hit will satisfy them, that thinking that the next post or the next share or the next this or the next that or the next rung on the ladder will make it all better. Let's take seriously that that's, that's poison and unsatisfying and we have the satisfying, soul-quenching truth of the gospel to share with them. It's one of the reasons we're doing the fair parade. We're passing out water bottles. We're passing out invitations to Awana. We want people to come to church and experience the truth of the gospel. God saves by grace. This is what the book of Titus has been about. It's been about living a consistent life putting our faith that God saves by grace into action and getting to work as we live a consistent life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd pull us closer to you today and help us live consistently with what we say we believe. Lord, help us. Um, help us take the next step whether it's rejecting the poison of idolatry where we think something is better or more satisfying than you, or it's just remembering the truth that you love us, that you take away our sin, that you give us your righteousness, that you raise us in the newness of life. Lord, help us live that out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.